Good morning, everybody. My name's Stephen Ruck, and I'm a warden here at uh, Anglican Church Rabina. And during the week, I'm on the leadership team at King's Christian College. Um, right. the, <laughs> when Jesus saw the crowds, he went to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Loving God, may the words that I speak and the reflection of all our hearts and minds equip us to be people of light in the communities where we live and serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's quite serendipitous that on this Sunday when we're celebrating education, we encounter the first big chunk of Jesus' teaching in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 5, 1 to 12 was the reading that Stephen read. Matthew establishes Jesus as the great teacher to Israel and presents his teaching in five major speeches or sermons throughout the Gospel. So this passage is not to be read as a day in the life of Jesus. The first teaching discourse we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with the wisdom sayings in today's reading that we call the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude is derived from the Latin for blessed. There are Old Testament Beatitudes, like the beginning of Psalm 1, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread. They are like trees planted by streams of water. In that place and in other places in the Old Testament, the blessing of those who follow in God's way seems to be now. But here in Matthew, the original Greek word for blessed carries a sense of blessing now by virtue of the fact that we are living as people in the way of God's kingdom, but also a future blessing when God fulfills all things in God's good time. In this, there is a spiritual state of happiness or of God's providence that is being acknowledged. So that word is different from the word that we use to denote an intentional blessing like the blessing that we will all have an opportunity to receive later in the service. 
Because they're succinct and catchy, we might like to read the Beatitudes literally to find practical help for us in, as we form our own rule of life. But in reality, embedded in each of these nine sayings are verses and theological ideas that originate in the Hebrew scriptures, especially in the Psalms and Isaiah, in what Christians call the Old Testament. These passages provide clarification about what is meant by mercy, righteousness, mourning, and so on. And I'm going to include some of those references in the Bible study resources that are uploaded to our website this week, if you're interested. We won't go through them now. But for now, we will do a tiny bit of unpacking so that we can better understand how we can draw meaning from these sayings as people who sit under Jesus' teaching today. It's a bit like picking up a Shakespearean play. It's not easy to understand because it was written more than 400 years ago in the poetic English language that Shakespeare used in his time. Many of us at some stage may have spent a whole term studying one of Shakespeare's plays and trying to understand it. A few of us may have spent many terms trying to understand some of Shakespeare's writing. Well, the Gospel of Matthew was written 2,000 years ago. That is actually a really long time. Around 80 to 90 CE, give or take a decade. And in ancient Greek, and it draws from three different sources. So it's quite a complex piece of writing. It draws from the Gospel of Mark, because it was written first. It draws from a source that biblical scholars call Q. And Luke also drew from Q and from the Gospel of Mark. And that's why we get some crossover between Matthew and Luke. But sometimes the material is presented differently in a different chronological order or a different context. But then there's a source called M from which material unique to Matthew is drawn. Who did Matthew write to? Well, his audience was an early Christian community with strong Jewish roots. They'd probably experienced persecution during or after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 CE. This community may well have been Antioch, which was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time and one of the few early Christian communities where the community was predominantly Jewish Christian. So you can see that the original audience will have heard these sayings th with, through very different eyes and ears from ours, yet their tradition informs ours and their tradition has become ours with the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel is clear that Jesus' teaching included outreach to the Gentile community who were joining the church at that time in large numbers. And it, Jesus made it clear that his intention was to bring salvation to all the nations of the world. That's us. The focus of Jesus' teaching, like the great liberator of Israel, Moses, is teaching Israel that God is salvation. That's what Jesus' name means. Jesus means to save. Jesus, 
the teacher, the one who reveals who God is with authority as the son of God, teaches that God's salvation is experienced through life in the kingdom of heaven. Last week we noted that Jesus is both the proclamation and the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven, which has come near, very near. And so in the kingdom of heaven, the law which Jesus came to fulfill is lived rather than simply understood as an academic exercise. Of course, this law was not general law. It was the revelation of God's will to Israel that was received by Moses on Mount Sinai. People who live in ways that reflect the character of God to others when life is difficult, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew establishes Jesus as Israel's teacher and at the same time, he reveals Jesus as the human face of God. So last week, we also noted that the kingdom of heaven is about people because people are at the heart of God's heart. All kinds of people from all kinds of places, just like the people we encounter in our learning communities. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What a beautiful encouragement that is for any of us who have any kind of teaching role in the lives of people with whom we live, work, learn, worship, and spend our recreational time. When we teach, let us become the human face of God for others in our words, actions, attitudes, and demeanor so that they might encounter and participate in the liberated life of the kingdom of heaven, of life in the kingdom of heaven that Christians call salvation. Jesus embodies all that we understand to be vital to effective education, that both those who teach and those who learn are perceived as fully human, more than simply brains on sticks. I think that has become one of my favorite sayings of the last 10 years since I first heard it from Stephen Harrison, who heard it from a guy called James K.A. Smith. We are more than simply brains on sticks. And there's no better place for that to be um, front and center than in our learning communities. Jesus' teaching to Israel was about more than helping people to know stuff, like laws or commandments or even beatitudes. It was about learning how to live and relate to God and others, framed by the great commandment to love God with mind, heart, soul, and strength, and to love others, to love one's neighbor as oneself. The Beatitudes assist us in this task. We have people here today who participate in dozens of different learning communities. I can, um, even just amongst the band members, I counted there are five different schools that um, those people belong to. But many of you are connected with Anglican schools. And Anglican schools in southern Queensland have an ethos statement 
that sits under this, um, that is framed by this statement. The vocation of Anglican schools in our diocese is education driven by a vision of humanity, shaped by the image of God, made visible in Jesus and present in every human being. In recent years, Archbishop Philip has recorded a New Year's message of welcome and encouragement for staff and students in our Anglican schools. At this year, Bishop Cam has recorded messages for staff and students at each different level and for our early learning center children. But what we're going to play right now for you is his message to primary students. I think it pitches pretty well for us. Hi there, and welcome to a new school year. I hope you had a great holiday and you're looking forward to 2023. My name is Cam, and I'm Bishop for the Western region of our diocese. I love traveling in Western Queensland. I love visiting people who, who have lived on sheep and cattle properties for many years. They have learned to care for the land and the animals they look after, which is brilliant to see. Even more brilliant, are some of the Aboriginal elders I have met and spent time with who have a much longer connection to country and a longer history of caring for the land. Knowledge has been passed on through older people telling younger people stories that explain what to do and where things are. You know, Jesus used to tell stories and I'd like to share with you one of my favourites. Jesus said in his story, that a man was attacked by robbers and was left badly beaten at the side of a road. After that, two religious people came by and they saw the man's need but chose not to help. Then another person came and he was a Samaritan who did not walk on by but instead care for the man. Be like that Samaritan, Jesus seemed to say. Don't worry what people will think. Just help each other. And don't just help the people you like. Help the ones you don't like. Be a friend to that new student who looks a bit out of place. Be helpful to your teachers. Be helpful to your parents. And try and learn something new each day. I'm looking forward to learning new things this year. And I hope you are as well. God bless you and have a wonderful year. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bowen, is it possible to have the camera at that, this point? Oh, it is. Great. Thank you. What a beautiful encouragement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, and the peacemakers. Of course, that story was from Luke, not from Matthew, but it captures some of those ideas we encountered in Matthew's version of the Beatitudes. So as modern Western Christians reading Matthew's gospel, we need to find a pathway between criticism of Jewish legalism and an overgeneralization that Matthew never intended. This means respecting the Jewish background in which the text originated while being 21st century participants in the kingdom of heaven like the Good Samaritan. 
In today's reading, Matthew establishes that Jesus is rabbi or teacher when he writes that Jesus went up the mountain and sat down. Jesus assumed the posture of rabbi while the crowds and the disciples gathered around him. In the ancient East, mountains were considered the homes of gods and sacred sites. For Israel, mountains represented revelation, the presence of God, worship, and fulfillment. Just as Moses received the Torah on Mount Sinai, Jesus reveals God's will in this sermon on the mountain. In Matthew, other important events in Jesus' life take place on mountains as well. Remember the temptations, feeding of the 4,000, transfiguration, and then that final commission. So understanding a little of the Jewish background to these wisdom sayings, how might we live as people who are blessed because we choose to participate in the kingdom of heaven which has come near in Jesus. I'm going to read each beatitude as it comes to us from the message, which is the paraphrased version of the Bible written by biblical scholar Eugene Peterson. And as I read, you may like to reflect or pray. You may like to imagine yourself as a participant of the kingdom of heaven and ask with each beatitude, what am I noticing about this ancient wisdom and Jesus' invitation to me to participate in the kingdom of heaven? Arriving at a quiet place, Jesus sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and God's rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. God is food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world.
You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of competing or fighting. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Anxiety has become an epidemic in our culture. While social media winds us up, Ancient wisdom, such as the Beatitudes, has proven helpful in helping to ground us in what's real and what has meaning. Australian author and psychologist Steve Bidolph says that when we trade anxiety for confronting the real ambivalence and complexity of life, not running away from it, not ignoring it or burying it, we can begin to let go of our imagined fears. Our Australian of the Year gives us the same message, doesn't she? And I thought of her when I read the Beatitude, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Just as Jesus taught Israel, Jesus offers us all the resources we need to confront and work through our fears and challenges. Because we have the very presence of Jesus to comfort, to guide, and to strengthen us. Absolutely not as an easy antidote. Christian faith is never an easy antidote or solution to any of life's problems. We still need to do the work of building our well-being with people who have the capacity to understand us and guide us and journey alongside us. But what I am saying is that in the Beatitudes, we have a tried and tested pathway for deepening our trust in God's provision and becoming more at home with who we are in God's eyes, our unique self with a role to play in the kingdom of heaven. We are all teachers as we influence those around us. We are all lifelong learners. When we allow our education to be shaped by Jesus and a commitment to the vision of human community portrayed by the kingdom of heaven, not only are we blessed, so are the people that we do life with in our learning communities. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue to sing together?